0: Loving God, we pray that you will give us ears to listen, minds to understand, and hearts to love. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the beginning of this school year has been, of course, very strange. My children have been mostly learning at home. Maybe yours have been at school every day or every other day but wearing masks and all these things that have made it feel different. But setting that aside, this weird beginning to the school year, if we can do that for a moment, I've always loved the beginning of a new school year or a new semester, whether it was as a student or as a teacher. As a student, I always was excited to pick out my new backpack and lunchbox and folders and fill up my new school box with all the best supplies which it seemed like everyone else always wanted to borrow, the mini stapler, the Scotch tape, the full rainbow of Crayola markers and crayons. And then as a professor, there would always be a certain point at the end of the summer, at the end of Christmas break, when I would get that feeling that it's time to make the syllabus, kind of like the Dunkin' Donuts commercial from a long time ago, where it was time to make the donuts. And then there was the excitement of going back to campus and catching up with colleagues, and then our students would return and we'd see who was in each class and how each group of students gelled or not as the semester got underway. As the semester progressed, of course, the work of grading and meetings and such would feel heavier as time went on. But even then, if you had asked me why, I would tell you that I did this work because I loved it. As one professor friend has said, really the paycheck was the burden, uh, was for the burden of grading and meetings and everything else we would have done for free. But even then, with all the love for what I did and for the people that I did it with, I decided to walk away. And it was not an easy decision to make. And so, At the beginning of the school year for the last four years in 2016 and 17 and 18 and 19, it felt a little strange and I felt very wistful and not a little nostalgic. So one of the obligations of seminarians in the Episcopal Church is to write something called Ember Day Letters. These are letters that we are expected to write to our bishops four times a year, around Holy Cross Day, which is in September, St. Lucia Day in December, Ash Wednesday, and Pentecost. These letters give postulants and candidates for ordination the chance to reflect on their academic and spiritual and personal development, and for our bishops to keep up with the formation of the ordinance under their care. As I was writing this sermon for today, pondering on Philippians and the importance of kenosis or self-emptying, in our Christian faith, I remembered that I had once actually written something to Bishop Brewer about kenosis, about how it was the most important thing I was learning about through the experience of being formed for the priesthood through seminary. So yesterday, as I was working on this sermon, I decided to look back through my Ember Day letters to remind myself of what exactly I had said about kenosis back then. And I found my Pentecost Ember Day letter dated May 30th 2017. And here's a bit of what I wrote to my bishop about this at the end of my first year of seminary. As I wrote to Bishop Brewer, as Rowan Williams observes in being disciples, the disciple is not there just to jot down ideas and then go away and think about them. The disciple is where he or she is in order to be changed so that the way in which he or she sees and experiences the whole world changes. Williams's observation is an apt description, not just for seminary formation, but for the ongoing formation of the Christian life. So as I continued in my letter to my bishop, I told him I'm continuing to work through this strangeness of being here as a student. I'm still dealing with sadness about all that I left behind to come here. I continue to miss my professional life and role, not to mention our house, our town, and our friends. This spring, I read a passage from C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed, that resonated with my experience and helped me to accept this change. As Lewis wrote, it was too perfect to last, so I am tempted to say. But it could also mean this had reached its proper perfection. This had become what it had in it to be. Therefore, of course, it would not be prolonged. As if God said, Good, you have mastered that exercise, and I'm very pleased with it. And now you are ready to move on to the next. And when you have learned to do quadratics and enjoy doing them, then you will be set not beset them much longer. The teacher moves you on. And so, as I told my bishop in that letter, I said, I'm learning that it is understandable to grieve the loss of what is past. It makes sense that this transition has been and is difficult. This discernment and formation process, especially this past year, I told him is teaching me about kenosis, as both a theological concept and as a way of being. Self-emptying is challenging, but at the same time, it is what we are called to if we are to follow Christ. So now, Three and a half years later, after I wrote about kenosis in that Ember Day letter, I can say with the Apostle Paul, yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. This idea of kenosis, which John also mentioned in his sermon last week, this pouring out of oneself for the good of others, is a central thread that ties everything together in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And really, if you think about it, it ties together much of what we learn about the Christian faith throughout the New Testament. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, but we continue to pour ourselves out because Jesus first poured out himself for us. We pour ourselves out giving up status and security and comfort because we want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him. What I especially like about the way Paul talks about pouring ourselves out for the sake of others is that Paul acknowledges that it is a process Paul acknowledges here that he doesn't have this kenosis thing all figured out, and certainly he hasn't perfected it. What Paul tells his friends in Philippi is this, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul knows that it will be a continuing struggle to set aside his own status and comfort and security for the sake of others, for the sake of fellow followers in the way of Christ. But you have to admire Paul for his stubbornness and his stick with itness Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Looking back on this strange and intense year that is 2020, I can recall story after story that I have read about and heard about in the news about people who have given up their time and effort and comfort and safety to make the lives of others better, especially stories of those in the medical profession. Some have even risked their very lives so that they could continue in their work of healing the sick. Two of these stories of self-sacrifice stand out in my mind as especially memorable today and and especially good illustrations of what I think Paul was calling us to do in Philippians. Dr. James Mahoney was an internist working in Brooklyn, New York at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic there. He worked day shifts in the ICU at University Hospital Brooklyn and nights at King's County Medical Center. Though he was 62 years old and had several other risk factors, he continued to be on the front lines of treating COVID patients, just as he had done in the past as he treated patients in the AIDS epidemic, the cocaine epidemic, and in the aftermath of 9-11. And this is how the New York Times described Dr. Mahoney. He would run from crashing patient to crashing patient, always at the bedside where it was the most dangerous. He rushed in to help when his boss, Dr. Robert Ferrangi, was struggling with a patient sick with the virus, doing chest compressions and switching out a blocked endotracheal tube. And then he was off again. There were people who were really reluctant to go into the rooms, and you could understand why, Dr. Ferrangi said. But he saw another human being in need, and he didn't hesitate to help. His patients adored him, colleagues said. He gave them his pager number, his cell phone number. If patients were too sick or too busy to come to the hospital for routine checkups, he would make house calls. But then in the second week of April, Dr. Mahoney began to show symptoms of COVID himself. Even after he got sick, he would call longtime patients to monitor them, said Michelle King, his office manager for over two decades. Not only did he heal people's bodies, she said, he healed their minds and their souls. By April 27th, he had died of the same coronavirus he had helped so many others to survive or I think of Dr. Adeline Fagan, a 28-year-old obstetrics resident in Houston. In her work there, she was involved in caring for expectant and laboring mothers who were COVID positive, as well as taking rotations, caring for COVID patients in the ER. And then in July, when the pandemic was at its peak in the Houston area, she contracted COVID herself. And after a two and a half month hospitalization, She died on September 19th. As Adeline's medical school professors remember her, she had an amazingly positive attitude and infectious smile, and her passing will deprive thousands of women of her empathy and commitment to their health. Adeline was a bright spot in an often dark world, exuberantly joyful, humble, troubled by the woes of others, and determined to leave this world a better place through her outreach on many fronts. So while there has been a lot of darkness in 2020, we have also been witnesses to so much light. Each time a person gives something of themselves in ways great and small, heroic and mundane. Each time someone pours out their time and energy and sometimes as with Dr. Mahoney and Dr. Fagan, even their very lives. For the sake of others. Each time our world becomes a little less dark and a little more bright. The kingdom of God becomes more and more visible, more and more tangible in our families, our churches, our workplaces, our schools, our communities. And so my prayer this morning is that as we press on with this crazy year that is 2020, that we can embody together the boldness of what Paul wrote to encourage his friends in Philippi. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as lost because of Christ. And more than that, I regard everything as lost because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Amen.